You're listening to What Mad Universe on the HyperX Podcast Network. Check out all our shows on podcast.hyperx.com. Content warning. Racial segregation, metaphorical racism, genocide, and high-frequency noises. Action! Excitement! Horror! Romance! Thrills and chills! Swords and sorcery! Rockets and ray guns! A dizzying canopy of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination! What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? Join us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's adventure as you like it on What What Mad Universe. If I could only talk, and she could only hear my words, I felt sure that I could break her hostility. How did these creatures communicate, anyhow? They undoubtedly had some means, for had I not seen Doggo halt Satan when the latter had been about to kill me? And had I not seen Doggo place on paper the questions which the four professors had wished to ask of me? But then I remembered the speculations of some Earth scientists, which had been running in the newspaper shortly before my departure from that sphere. The opinion had been expressed that insects communicate by very short radio waves. I had made a note to investigate this subject matter, but at that time I had been too engrossed with my machine for the transmission of matter to be able to give the question of insect speech more than a mere passing thought. It had not crossed my mind again until, immediately after my sad meeting with the beautiful Cupian, I was racking my brains for some means of talking with her. Radio. The very thing. How strange that I, a radio engineer whose life was the capture and subjugation of the Hertzian wave, should have missed this solution for so long. The solution certainly was plausible. If fireflies can produce a 95% efficient light, and if electric eels could generate a current sufficient to kill a horse, why should not an insect be able to send out and receive radio signals over short distances? If animals can create light and electricity in their bodies, why can they not create radio? The Radio Man, 1924, by Ralph Milne Farley. Um, hi, uh, welcome to What Mad Universe. Um, I'm your host, Philip Rice, and with me as always is Adam Prosser. Hello! And today we're going to be talking about the Radio Man series, um, a uh, sort of uh, post-Edgar uh, Rice Burroughs uh, planetary romance thing, very much in that vein, but with a, a more science nerd. Um, uh, cast over it. So uh, we'll be right back after this. Introducing the new HyperX Cloud Stinger 2. The Stinger 2 is a refined evolution of the classic Cloud Stinger and keeps the fan favorite 90 degree rotating ear cups, comfortable memory foam cushions, and the swivel to mute microphone. It also features two years of DTS Headphone X activation for upgraded sound localization, all while keeping the great price of the original Stinger. That's right. Get the new Cloud Stinger 2 for only 50 bucks. Now isn't that nice? Available online at Amazon, Best Buy, Walmart, and of course, HyperX.com. 
with too many comic book podcasts and not enough deep dives into your favorite superheroes. One podcast stands as a shining beacon in a world of pain and darkness. Yeah, yeah, darkness. Yeah, lots of darkness, bunch of dark stuff. Superhero stuff you should know. That's us. Andrew, why are you talking like that? I'm the movie voice guy now. I'm the new movie voice guy. And it's time for you to listen to superhero stuff you should know. <laughs> uh, so we have like unused concept art, unmade scripts, unmade superhero movies. All check us out at superhero stuff you should know. Ben, you should do a movie voice guy voice guy voice. Uh, I would, but I think we're out of time. Superhero Stuff You Should Know, part of the HyperX Podcast Network. Part of the HyperX Podcast Network. I just said that. Sequelcast 2 and Friends looks at movies and video games and franchises, one movie and game at a time. Hosted by Matt Bradley Shergi, Thrasher, and Alex Miller, been going since 2009, and we're part of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hi, we're back. Uh, so uh, y- you haven't read these, right, or know anything? I have about not. Them? I have never heard of them. That's, but I know I can detect from the title that it's one of these things where, hey, the hot new invention is radio. Let's turn it into a pulp thing. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely a bit of that. Um, and uh, radio definitely is the uh, cause of and solution to all of life's problems <laughs> in these novels. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's um, like how, um, it, the, you know, in the 50s they had Captain Video because video was new. So it sounded like yeah. a high-tech word, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, uh, I mean, yeah, and, and radiation in the in the Marvel comics and then quantum right. in the, you know. Yeah. Nanotechnology uh, is yeah. the new thing, yeah. Um, I hadn't heard of this either. It was actually suggested by a friend of the show, Philby, who was on our uh, Star Wars episode uh, a few seasons back. Um, and... Uh, it was the basis for a uh, planet in um, uh, the Starfinder um, uh, RPG, uh, which is a spin-off Pathfinder, which is a Dungeons and Dragons thing. So this is like a sci-fi version of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, and the planet Castrovel is uh, based on um, uh, Venus, sort of uh, pulp sci-fi versions of Venus. Uh, and a lot of it, it comes from this book, including... Uh, the Formians, the a race of intelligent ant people, and the oh. Lashunta uh, from that story are uh, based on the Cupians, who are uh, butterfly people with antenna, uh, in the oh. um, uh, Radio Man series. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, the uh, Pathfinder or the Starfinder series also has Akaton, which is sort of based on Burroughs as Mars. So it right. this and they're in the same solar system. So this is like a yeah sure okay uh, uh but but the um but yeah what so the radio man just backing up a little um so uh what's the sort of uh what like what's the setup for the radio man what what yeah. happens in it uh well it starts with a framing story uh ralph oh i i should actually start a start talking start by talking about ralph milne farley himself um okay. that is not his real name and it was known from the beginning that it that it was a uh, alias um it was uh it was yeah. It was known uh, from 1924. It was announced by the Argosy, who published uh, this originally, 
that the author of the radio man was the world's leading authority in two lines uh scientific lines and uh to name either would instantly reveal his identity uh <laughs> now that sounds fake uh but it wasn't oh my Ro- gosh yeah albert Roger einstein Sh- oh my god yeah. <laughs> uh roger sherman hoar uh h-o-a-r uh, i can see why he went with a pen name but uh <laughs> um yeah, he was a um, uh, very accomplished man, had um, several patents. Uh, he was a, uh, a state senator in Massachusetts. Oh, um, wow. And an assistant attorney general. Um, yeah, this was very much a side thing. Like, he didn't need to do this for money. Uh, huh. uh, wow. He actually, um, uh, yeah, he's a uh, uh, grandson of the former U.S. attorney general, Ebenezer Rockwood Hoare. And the great grandson of Samuel Hoare. Uh, Sorry, I know that's how people were named back then, but Ebenezer Rockwood Hoare is a great name. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that that was uh, his uh, great grandson of a, a famous uh, politician and um, uh, uh, lawyer from from um, uh, the nineteenth uh, century, and uh, the great great grandson of uh, Roger Sherman. The uh, one of the American founding fathers who was who signed his name on the ele- on the uh, Declaration of Independence. Uh, so yeah, this guy's a somebody. <laughs> okay, huh? Like he comes from a uh, he went to Harvard, uh, which is one of the connections that uh, uh, people managed to to figure out who he was because these books are all about Harvard. I mean, um, the the main character Miles Cavish uh, Cabot, Miles Standish Cabot. Uh, in these stories is a Harvard man and the uh, um, guy on earth he's communicating with is is uh, supposedly Ralph Milne Farley himself uh, who has a farm in Chappaquiddick was also knew him from uh, from Harvard um, I always love that I mean if you're doing a pen name why not anyway why not just uh, make yourself into a character in the story you know yeah um, so yeah he was uh, um, uh, the real uh, yeah uh, Roger Sherman Hoare uh, uh, campaigned for women's suffrage. He was involved in the Democratic Party and was uh, a major influence behind the enactment of the Employee Un- uh, Unemployment Benefits Act. Uh, oh. uh, so he, he was good on top of being a politician. He was a generally good politician. Uh, seems to be. Uh, I mean low-level politician like he was in state politics and stuff but uh uh his accomplishments seem to be on the good side of things um some of his politics in the stories are a bit iffy so but we'll discuss that later uh yeah um and uh, uh one of the ways that he was uh he was discovered um one uh under his real under his real name he uh published a, a thing that um and also published a similar line in one of his stories, so people sort of connected that. And also, uh, one of his um, uh, novels, uh, uh, which I didn't read, The Radio Flyers, which is loosely tied in with this series, like set in the same universe, but not on the same planet or the same characters. Uh, I'll explain that later. Um, uh, has an invention that he in real life had patented. So. Uh, oh, okay, all right. 
So what? people sort of connected it that way and started. Well, find, that, I mean, okay, but that's a little bit like uh, this. This it's like if someone read the George Edison goes to Mars. Uh, yeah. Thomas Edison goes to Mars and fights the Martians and is like, this must have been read, written by Thomas Edison. No, this <laughs> is know? just like how people started piecing it together. Yeah. Okay. Um, like it, this definitely is the case that the, this was him. Like it's yeah, not. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, uh, yeah. He uh, one of his uh, patents was apparently in um, dur- at towards the end of World War One. Uh, um he invented a way of um uh, uh i i can't remember the details but basically aiming uh the those big guns uh using the stars um which was revolutionary for the time um yeah so uh accomplished guy and uh um like uh, i i read um one um a thing on the uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs zine website, uh, erbzzine.com, which I, I've been reading for years. It's very good um, sort of essays and stuff, fan essays on um, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs' mythology and often how other books sort of fit into it. Um, and uh, there's an article on the Radio Man series um, that mentions, you know... Um, Farley did not have to write these books. Like, he didn't need the money for it. Um, it was obviously so, because he, he was um, he loved the uh, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs stuff, and he just wanted to write something in that vein. Maybe and, he wanted to encourage people to think about radio and to bolster the the idea of the radio to people. Yeah, yeah, that, that could be the case as well. Uh, but yeah, there, there's obviously a love of uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs in particular. Like, this is very much... Uh, I guess you could say poor man's barsoom, but it's it's um, it's better than a lot of the copies of of barsoom stuff at the time. Uh, though that's probably not saying much. Like it's not it's not super well written, but it's it's got some charm to it. Hmm. Um, it definitely feels like some like a passion project rather than um, somebody following trends. You know? Huh? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, if you, as you say, he was such a Renaissance man, it, you kind of assume that maybe he was like, well, now I need to write something because I haven't done writing yet. You know, it's, it's, it kind of makes a certain amount of sense. Yeah, and, and this sort of book did uh, fall out of favor after the, because um, he, he wrote uh, uh, the first three books, which is sort of a, a continuing story in the space of three years, so nineteen twenty four to nineteen twenty six. That's when the three came out. Um, then waited a while, uh, wrote one in, um, wrote wrote a few in between that are loosely connected or uh, unrelated stories. Then came back to the series in 1930, uh, again in 1939, and then again in 1955, which was uh, just a little bit before his death. Um, uh, so yeah, we'll we'll get into the the books itself now. Uh, basically, a uh, genius uh, Harvard uh, radio engineer. Or like he went to Harvard. He's a Harvard man, you know. They they right. think of themselves that way. Um, yeah. uh, was uh, experimenting with uh, using radios to teleport uh, matter, which mm. uh, again, radio does everything in these books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, like radioactivity does in Marvel comics. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, and it winds up accidentally transporting himself to to Venus. 
where he gets um, uh, first uh, giant ant uh, people. They're, they're uh, physically like ants in every way, except they're intelligent. Um, and, oh, and ten feet long. Uh, um, and uh, gets captured by them and discovers that uh, the uh, the Formians, the the ant the ant men, are um, uh, had conquered a uh, another race on on Venus called the Cupians, who are, are more humanoid. And he uh, the first Cupian he meets is a woman that he falls in love with. She turns out to be the princess of the um, the the Cupian dynasty. Um, yeah, so the the Cupians are are humanoids. Um, they they look like humans in almost every respect, except they have uh, six fingers and six toes on each hand and foot. Um, they have no ears, and they have uh, small antenna coming out of their heads. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, sort of vestigial butterfly wings on their backs. They don't oh. do anything. They're just sort of you know. Um, yeah, the remains of uh, a previous uh, evolutionary state. I guess. Mm. Um, uh, and uh, neither the Cupians or the Formians can actually hear or speak uh, out loud, or using sounds anyway. And um, uh, so Miles uh, discovers uh, that they're actually communicating via radio waves and invents his own headset, um, like false antenna on his head, and like it hooks up to a thing that transmits sound into radio waves and vice versa. So he can mm. communicate with the uh, with this woman he's fallen in love with, and he get he ends up uh, fermenting a, a revolution of the Cupians against the Formians. Um, uh, he has one friend who's a, uh, a, a Formian named Doggo, who's like the the one good one, you know. Okay. Uh, which is a thing that pops up in a lot of Burroughs stories as well. Like there, there's every right, evil tar- race. Tar- Tarstarkus is the good Thark, yeah. and the Tharks are mostly not great, but he's good. Yeah. Well, there's a few good Tharks, but like every evil race introduced in the in the Burroughs books tends to have at least one member who's um, ends up siding with the heroes. Um, right. But in this case, there's, uh, yeah, there, there's a running thing in at least the first three books that Miles insists. That uh, two different species, like intelligent races, uh, cannot exist on the same continent without eventually exterminating one, exterminating the other, or conquering them, or like, yeah, it's it's very uncomfortable. This is sort of where the bad politics enters the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, he's explicitly talking about like different species though right yeah but I there's mean, uncomfortable implications yeah yeah this is this is one of the things that actually it does get into uh tricky areas i think with sci-fi because it's always like like for instance uh, a thing with star trek is it always is like well you know obviously if a human and a vulcan are in love they should be able to get married and have children it's like yeah because if you say otherwise it feels like a an anti-racist statement but at the same time like if you're actually talking about other species like alien species it's not comparable to uh you know like two races of humanity right like it's, it is actually a whole different thing the problem of course is that sci-fi has always tended to use alien races as stand-ins for human races uh and i mean even we even use the same word races uh yeah. 
that that gets into some tricky stuff. I mean, that's why I'm generally in favor of not including like humanoid races for that exact reason, uh, because it muddies that kind of water. But any, I, I, it's it's a complicated thing, and and you can do it without having you know ill intent. I think. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think this is more uncomfortable implications rather than an outright uh, racist thing, because it that's like that kind of extreme exterminationist racism doesn't reflect in in the stories that he, he wrote in this series that sort of take place more on Earth. So, um, yeah, uh, it does seem to be more of a, um unfortunate implication, but like it's a Miles is a genocidal uh dink call him a dink like he he actually sets out to exterminate the formians um yeah. because uh they had previously um uh enslaved the cupians but it's it's very um mm. i don't know like there there's a part where uh they they're talking about how they they have some formian prisoners of war and they can't just execute some prisoners of war but they can't let them live either cuz they're they have to exterminate all of them, uh, but then they they find out the prisoners of war have revolted in the prison cell. So yeah, it's okay if we shoot them now. Now, uh, is it? Do they do the thing where it's like, well, the Formians are have a different? Is it like the Starship Troopers thing where it's like, well, they're so unlike humanity that we can never? No, they they so. basically. I mean, they they have different cultural things, but they like he's got one friend named Doggo who's who's his uh, on his side. Like it. It Man's just seems friend, like a different say. culture of people yeah. uh, who happen to look like giant ants. Okay, all right. Well, they want to be doctors like anyone <laughs> anyone else. Um, uh, and and also, I just I let's not let's not skip over the fact that his name is Doggo. Apparently. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's uh, not his actual name. Uh, they they don't have um, uh, the Formians don't have individual names for themselves. This is the nickname that Miles gives him. Mm. Um, I see. Is it because he's like a dog to him? Or? Uh, I, I re- it, this was in the first book. I recall Miles knew somebody uh, in the war named Doggo who was like... Uh, I can't remember what country he was from, but it was like... So he named him after this, this guy he once knew. I see. Um, so yeah... Um, uh so that's that's the first book he seeks to to uh starts a exterminationist war against the uh the formians uh introduces guns to the cupians uh and this is again presented as a good thing um these books um deal a lot more with uh sort of modern warfare techniques uh that uh, miles introduces to uh to the planet uh, than, say, the Barsoom books, which makes sense since they're set in the Victorian era. Right. Um, well, it would have been it would have been after World War One, I, I guess, right? And, yeah. 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 Now, the, are the are are the Formians portrayed as like? Do they have technol like technologically? Where are they at? Uh, in um, terms of humans? Uh, advanced, uh, like they have airplanes. Uh, okay. They uh, seem to know that they're on a planet that you know. Um, uh, they have uh, systems of mathematics. Uh, they don't have guns, though. Uh, huh. So, yeah, that, that's the level they're at. Huh. So they're not necessarily better or necessarily even worse than humans. It's just they're missing some things. Yeah, yeah. And so are the Cupians. So, yeah. Um, Would you say they have kind of an imperialist 
attitude in general like yes yes of... that that's definitely the case but like so do several of the the cupian characters so like it's not they're they're not portrayed as as alien as you expect from bug people you know mm, okay like you can have conversations with them uh doggo has sense of honor and friendship and that sort of thing so and he's doesn't seem to be completely out of the norm like he's not like a freak yeah. he's not considered a freak among his people so like uh-huh. and it's weird that miles just sort of says yeah this one guy can live that's fine um anyway uh so uh prince yuri is uh another one of the the main villains of this first trilogy he's uh um a cupian who's in love with lila and he wants to take the uh take the throne um from the the rightful uh, uh, lineage, uh, or he's he's like a cousin, but like he wants to take the throne from from uh, originally uh, King Q, uh, who's Lila's father, and then Miles and Lila's son, uh, who's Baby Q. Uh, it's Q K E W, um, and Yuri is um, uh, a treacherous piece of crap uh, who keeps uh, uh, betraying them and. Um, uh, yeah, eventually he, he just they just kill him uh in the third book. But uh he keeps coming back uh um with uh like in in the second book uh uh he um uh shoots uh King Q in in public and um on behalf of the Formians and lets the Formians take control. So he's like uh, I'm not sure uh he's a traitor basically. And then um, after that, he's um, exiled to um, uh, fly into the the boiling seas. Oh, that's um, this version of Venus is um, we actually only uh, in the first two books um, explore one continent on the planet uh, because it's surrounded by the boiling seas, which are uh, well, what they sound like uh, seas and like steam boils up from them and they're basically impassable uh, even by airplane. Um, Though I say basically because uh, several characters do pass them over the course <laughs> of the series, um, um, but it's actually um, it's it's a decent setup for for planetary romance, I think, because it it allows uh, you to explore everything within an area, but still, if you want to write another book, you can go to another continent, you know, and that's end up ends up what happens, and I, I feel like um, the Barsoom books for all the ways that they're they're better than this uh in in the writing department um and in terms of the um the world building and stuff because i just think those are like the top heap stuff uh in terms of this genre but uh the one problem i i sort of have with them is like you're discovering new places on a planet that just land uh there there's there's very like very small seas but there's no uh uh, major areas to cross that would, you know, separate these cultures in a way that, you know, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, I, I yeah, I guess that makes it's sense. kind of unrealistic to find to find a new culture on a small planet that has no uh, geo geographical barriers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, th- this is a, a setup where like there there can be other other islands with different completely different life and that's what ends up happening in the third book where uh miles uh in between books uh has returned to earth to uh do some um uh 
gets some technology and stuff from Harvard, and uh, he transports back, uh, but accidentally lands on the wrong continent. Um, and it's one ruled by uh, these people have ears and uh, talk with, um, you know, their mouths and stuff. But they they have a different language, obviously. But uh, for some reason, everybody on Venus uses the same writing system. Uh, it's called uh, Perovian shorthand. Um, so yeah, they use the same writing system and the same words in their shorthand, uh, which is odd. Again, it reminds me of uh, sort of the opposite of of the Barsoom books, where um, uh, Mars has one universal spoken language. And even if uh, two separate, like on opposite sides of the planet, come up with the same idea independently, they'll come up. They'll have the same word for it somehow. Yeah, uh, it's a stretch, but it is worth noting that, for instance, uh, Chinese, all the different dialects and, and versions of Chinese, uh, use the same written language. It's it's like it is theoretically possible to do that. Oh um, yeah, but like uh, that, be- that's because they come from the same place and like the. The shared lang- the shared written languages, because like they didn't develop it independently. Yeah, well, well but it, are, did they say it developed independently? Because you yes. could argue that it was like, oh, they, oh, okay, all right. This you is could say in the ancient days, continents. yes, yeah, yeah, they used and, the same. Okay, all right, yeah, fair enough. And, and uh, in the uh, Ver King area, at least, uh, yeah, it's a completely different ecosystem. Like the animals are described as entirely different in the um, uh, Cupian uh, continent. Um, Cupia and Formia, um, all the animals are either bug-like or insect-like, um, or, uh, sorry, bug-like or, uh, reptilian-based, so there aren't any mammals at all, mm. um, except possibly the, the Cupians, they, they seem to give birth, so, I don't know, <laughs> they look like humans, so they have, they, they have breasts, I guess, so they're mammals, mm. but they're insects, you know, they're, it's that weird sci-fi thing. Yeah, 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 right. Um, yeah. As long but, as I can have sex with it, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is the underlying thing of a lot of alien races, unfortunately, <laughs> in, in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, so. up in, including the Na'vi. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, um, a, it's a pet peeve of mine, to be honest, but, uh, you know, anyway. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but, uh, yeah, and there there's more uh, hairy animals and stuff on the... Um, the Verkingi side, and they're like um, um, basically savages. Uh, uh, like they're uh, again, there, there's two cultures represented in in Verkingi. Uh, the Verkings, who are um, they look like very beautiful humans, except they're completely covered in fur. Um, but they're just still described like the women are still described as incredibly attractive, um, and. It, even like more attractive than than human women uh to some men uh so i i don't know i guess ralph milm farley liked uh uh hairy ladies <laughs> um, <laughs> we have a word for that phil <laughs> uh, furries <laughs> yeah furries um but uh um they're like uh not above bows and arrows and stuff technologically and there's uh another race called the roys uh, who are um, the same sort of species, but like a Neanderthal offshoot sort of thing. And they uh, look more savage. And um, like basically Miles Cabot recognizes that they're, they're the bad guys because they, they're 
they look more savage, you know? Mm. Again, a little bit uncomfortable there. Yeah, that that was a recurring thing. Um, I know that in um, there's like an old uh, like 50s era comic book story where uh, humans are at war with this alien race who they never see. And then suddenly they're attacked by a third race and they have to team up to defeat the alien race. And they discover that the race they've been fighting look exactly like humans. But the aliens they're fighting are weird looking aliens. And they're like, well, we were you know, we we were so alike all this time, and then they team up to defeat the ugly-looking aliens. And it's like, I see what you're getting at. <laughs> like you're trying to be—it's trying to be like anti-bigotry and inclusive uh, storyline, but you just basically painted it as the ugly ones or the bad guys. <laughs> it's like no matter what, it's they're good because they look like humans. So you yeah, know what I mean? yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And uh, so uh, they. Uh, uh, Miles and uh, um, Doggo, who's with him at this point, and the um, uh, a very kingy lady named uh, um, uh, Quiven of the Golden Flame, uh, end up uh, wanting to go back to uh, uh, Cupia. Um, so they decide to to fly over, and but uh, they can't pass the boiling seas easily. But uh, Miles figures out that uh, he can go above the boiling seas in an airplane at night like you can't go up during the day because the sun will fry you because they're on venus <laughs> that um, sounds literally like we're going to the we're doing an expedition to the sun but we're going at night <laughs> yeah there, there's there's a few moments of that where like these books are very nerdy in terms of the engineering stuff like uh there's there's a whole section in book three where miles invents a or um builds a radio entirely uh uh, from scratch, like from base materials in, in a in a culture that doesn't have um, any technology, and like this is a an extended thing. Like uh, the narration keeps talking about how amazing this is and stuff. Like he invented a transporter in book one, but anyway. Yeah, he uh, like that's literally you'd have to mine for copper and do. He this does, other yes. Thing. Yeah, I I mean. I, well, I guess copper can be dug out of the soil pretty easily now that I think about it. So I guess maybe there's yeah. a Saturday Night Live sketch in, with uh, Paul Simon and Victoria Jackson about a couple who are stranded on a desert island and the, they're getting each other birthday presents. And the, the guy just like, you know, macramed some some pr- palm fronds together and she's like building him a watch out of material that she smelted. It's <laughs> just making me think of that basically. But yeah, let me, it's, let it's me very ask... much a coconut radio from Gilligan's Island. Thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Let, let me ask um, when, when you say he goes over the boiling sea at night, is that because the sun causes the, the, the seas to boil? No, no. Um, uh, the boiling seas are always boiling. But uh, you can't also go above the cloud cover during the day because you'll fry from the sun. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, All right. Yeah, v- uh, Poros is, I, I should have mentioned this, it's covered with a cloud cover that present, prevents the burning sunlight. But right. occasionally, like, if the clouds part slightly, there'll they'll be a, like a ray that just blasts you. Yeah, that's the idea with classic pulpy versions of Venus is that it had a cl- cloud cover, like a massive cloud cover. So. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. it does. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. But clouds, like as we understand, them, yes. not sulfuric uh, <laughs> boiling, uh, you know, atmospheres. Yeah, and actually, the um, uh, the Formians uh, carry around umbrellas, like parasols, uh, for when the sun comes out. Hmm. Um, yeah. Sorry, I should have mentioned that earlier. Um, <laughs> no worries. Yeah. Uh, so that flying above at night uh, thing. Uh, 
it reminds me of an earlier part in the f- the first story where there's there's this bit where uh, Miles is being sentenced by the uh, Formians at that point uh, to uh, by death by the uh, boiling rocks or sorry the uh, there's a lot of uh, the howling rocks um, which uh, uh, is an area that where the rocks apparently just scream at you and <laughs> um, uh, cause you to go insane and eventually die. Like, it absolutely drives you insane. Um, and uh, he, Miles is really afraid and stuff. And then, But I, I was thinking the whole time, the people throwing you in there don't, don't hear. Uh, they, <laughs> like, it's pretty obvious that this is a problem, like a radio signal thing. Uh, uh, yeah. So you can yeah. just shut off your headset. And that's what happens. But he doesn't uh, figure it out until very late. <laughs> Huh. Uh, very late uh, after the reader, at least I figured it out. I, yeah, I felt like fair enough. Like that, this that's is clever a, enough. That's not. Yeah. I mean, if if you've gotten, it's the kind of thing where if you've gotten used to listening to everything over the radio on this planet, you might forget. Oh yeah, right. My my ears work differently. Yeah, I, I'll buy that. I mean, that's that's not too great. That's at least at least he put thought into it, right? You know. Yeah. I don't know. It, it annoyed me because I I picked on the up on that one instantly. Yeah. Um. Well, I guess, you know, I am reading it and not living it, but... <laughs> uh, yeah, fair enough. Um, but yeah, uh, so uh, they travel at night, uh, but they wound up on a third continent. The third book is basically three um, loosely connected uh, short stories in their own right. Uh, the third one being the usual uh, uh, court intrigue stuff, and uh, it ends with him uh, killing Prince Yuri and taking back the throne for his son um but uh the second part of this the the other continent they go to is sort of the most interesting sci-fi idea presented in in this this book is like pure like science fiction idea the other race are the uh are called the humangs which is a silly name there's a lot of silly names in these books uh you know, yeah, yeah um like Burroughs, uh, some of the words in in Burroughs's uh, Barsoom books are sound kind of silly, but for the most part, I, I don't know. There's a there's a naturalness to them. This one has uh, like the um, uh, the Peruvian word for a prison is a mangul, and a warden is a mango. <laughs> and uh, like a major character in the first three books is is a warden so they keep saying mango over and over again and expecting <laughs> me not to laugh uh, yeah, uh anyway he was an all he was a he was a he was a literate guy with a lot of qualifications but he didn't know fruit <laughs> um anyway so uh the humangs uh uh basically a bunch of completely different animals uh like uh some of them furry some of them giant snakes some of them pterodactyl like creatures um but they're all uh working within a society together and uh it's discovered that they're they're basically trill from Star Trek they all have a bug in them that's controlling them okay um, it turns out that um uh and this is never explained but somebody from another planet came down saw these moth grubs and decided to just insert them into the necks of some of the animals and this gave the animals intelligence. Hmm. Um, so uh, this, yeah, like I said, moth grub, and it surgically inserted into the uh, base of the skull, and uh, it 
acts in a symbiotic thing where it gives both of them intelligence where they wouldn't have them individually. Hmm. And these moth grubs are referred to the, by the Humangs as their souls, and they they have a sort of a religious um, uh, devotion around this idea. So the, it's all these different animals who are like unre- like hmm. unrelated animals, but they have um, right uh, a parasitic know. or symbiotic yeah. uh, being living inside them that make them all, and they act like as one culture and one civilization. Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. Their king is is a giant pterodactyl. Their uh, minister of state is is a um, a giant snake. You know that sort of thing. Hmm. Uh, and they communicate through through writing and through uh, uh, crude clicks. Hmm. Um, I I just think this is like a really interesting idea for this sort of book. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been an interesting. That's that's I I, I yeah. I wonder where that first appeared because it's definitely appeared like pre. I mean, obviously, this is it appearing pre Star Trek right here. Um, yeah, I feel like it it might even ex- predate that, but I guess that's pretty early, nineteen twenty four. So uh, this maybe, one's twenty six, the 26, third book. Whatever. But yeah. yeah, yeah, but yeah, that's that might be the first appearance of that. That's a really interesting idea. Yeah, um, and the the Humangs, of course, uh, finding out about uh, other continents on Poros, uh, want to um, spread their uh, souls to to everybody else. So it's like a religious thing combined with a, you know, um, assimilation thing. And mm-hmm. they actually take Dago and uh, Quiven of the Golden Flame and make them into Humangs. And uh, only Miles is able to escape. And that thread is left dangling until the fourth book. Which didn't come out till like ten years later. Oh, and uh, do they are they rescued from that? <laughs> from not quite. Uh, the fourth book is a real big swerve. Um, it's uh, it's called uh, uh, the Radio Menace, and uh, Miles is barely in it. it. It takes place entirely on Earth, an invasion of the Humangs invading Earth uh, using and it's it's like a, a sci-fi spy novel with. Uh, with um, G-men and scientists um, trying to stop this, um, um, basically, uh, like, uh, invasion of the body snatchers deal. And um, uh, Dago and Quiven are two of the royalty of the, uh, of the Humang uh, invaders, the other one being the giant pterodactyl. Um, and they've replicated Miles' uh, teleportation technology, um, radio teleportation, uh, which it, it has been established doesn't transport metal, and it's actually a, a plot point that, uh, like, your fillings don't go with you when you get transported. So, um, and they use these transporters to set up networks all over the earth, but they have a dentist office in every, um, <laughs> in every, uh, location to give you your fillings back after you get transported. <laughs> oh, jeez. I don't know. I found well, that a how funny do they detail. how do they get your fillings to you though if if they've been if they're not transported? No, no, like they, they give you new them? fillings. They give you new fillings. Okay. But they've they've invented apparently uh, anesthetics that uh, that work better than the ones they had back then. So, Jeez. yeah. So it doesn't well, hurt would, that much. I would simply not continue to make fillings out of metal. But you know, <laughs> I don't know. R.I.P. But I'm different. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's like um, an invasion of the body snatchers type thing, um, and it's uh, not until uh, the end where the the human heroes um, uh, free uh, Dago and Quiven from the uh, Humang 
thing that uh, Miles Cabot comes and and takes them back to to Venus, um, and that's like he's basically just in one paragraph in the last chapter, um, mm. but it, it was actually um, quite interesting that that it took this this uh, sort of genre swerve, but including some of the same characters and same concepts. Um, the next uh, story was a, a very short story uh, published in uh, 1939 called "The Radio Man Returns." Um, yeah. And this one is entirely um it's it's a sci-fi story but uh besides Miles there's no like alien elements or anything. Um it Miles it's just an an adventure Miles has on Earth with uh, an invisible plane that's bombing that's threatening to bomb the White House and it turns out it's it's to uh mess with the stock market. Um very like mundane. <laughs> Like it's an invisible plane, but it it turns out it just like mirrored, and uh, they scheduled to only do it on cloudless days. Hmm. I wonder if I wonder if there was some feeling of like, well, now I'm going to start writing hard sci-fi. I'm going to turn no, away from he, pulp. And I, stuff. I don't know. It's because it still talks about him being like, I want to go back to to Venus, but I have to take care of this first. And he apparently, uh, in on his trips to Earth, uh, does. Um, uh, designs gadgets for the fbi <laughs> oh boy and um the president is a character in the story and j edgar hoover is mentioned it's it's very yeah. odd <laughs> yeah well that's you know that's the the uh, uh buckaroo bonsai thing of having your you know being on call with the, all the powerful leaders of the world yeah yeah um and then uh the the last one in this series uh is the uh, radio minds of mars which was written in 1955 so much later uh he's coming back to this yeah uh, that's crazy <laughs> yeah um he did write stuff in between i'll i'll get to that but uh th- this is like the main series um and this is uh um miles and the uh humangs teaming up against the martians um who are uh psychic beings they they they're basically like the uh the sarmax or the uh the martians from war of the worlds in appearance like they're uh they have tentacles and stuff they have six eyes um six tentacles with three fingers on each they're they're roughly the size of a football but their tentacles are are longer um and they're they're psychic but it it deals with psychic um uh abilities in interesting ways um because uh, they have no concept of lying, and they can't hide their thoughts, even from their enemies. Mm. Um, so they're completely... They're like um, uh, those aliens from Galaxy Quest who don't know what lying is. Right, right. Okay. And this is um, an advantage that, that Miles had. They're, they're very technologically advanced, but Miles can sort of... He can't quite fully uh, lie either, because they can read his thoughts... But he can sort of um, cloud his, th- you know, think of other things, um, which apparently people can do. I don't know. I have intrusive thought problems, so like I would just think, you know, um, yeah. I have OCD, so uh, intrusive thoughts all over the place. I would not be able to not think of something I'm supposed to not think about. <laughs> yeah, don't but think apparently of a some camel. people can. So that's uh, believable, mm. I guess. Yeah. Um, You've got a train. In another Alfred Bester story, uh, the Demolished Man has a guy. Uh, the kind of the main character, but he's also kind of the villain, and he's being hunted by telepaths, and he has to. He literally, he's a he's a rich guy, so he gets his uh, marketing division to develop a jingle that's so annoying <laughs> that he can focus on it, and thereby 
block telepathic uh, intris- like he can just keep thinking of this jingle and it'll block telepathic uh, hunting essentially that's, oh that's they use that in the of. justice league episode the cartoon uh where batman uh, is fighting a psychic dr destiny and uh ends up defeating him by just humming the same tune in his head over and over and over again and driving him yeah. insane <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly um uh but yeah it, it's it's an interesting idea the the um use of psychic powers is like you can't turn it off and what would that mean for both a society and for contact with another society again again some some interesting ideas ideas in there um so uh, as i mentioned uh there's other stories loosely connected i couldn't find uh novels uh, or a novel version of the radio flyers uh which again is set in the same universe but is um, not on Venus and doesn't involve uh, Miles as a character at all. Um, it's uh, actually a Hollow Earth novel. Uh, apparently, they come, uh, the heroes uh, go into the Hollow Earth at the pole and discover a lost race of Vikings. You know, as you do, well, as we've again. discovered that that's yeah. just what you do at the poles. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and there's a sequel called the Radio Pirate or the Radio Gunrunners, um, which is in the same setting that involves gangsters doing stuff. Uh, again, I, I couldn't um, track down cheap copies of either of these, but again, there uh, and there uh, the events are vaguely uh, are mentioned in uh, the Radio Menace in 1930s. So these are definitely in the same universe. They're just sort of unconnected weird things that are happening. Hmm. Again, it sort of sets it up as like a kitchen sink fantasy universe where there's a hollow yeah. earth, there's a uh stuff on Venus, there's invisible planes, spy stuff, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's comic book uh comic I mean, I world I, I write that started. sort of thing, so that's fine, yeah. but it, it's it's sort of interesting that it was being done this early. And I guess yeah. Burroughs did not quite this like the Venus and Pol- and Pellucidar and Mars stuff. Um, mm. It's all sort of a, of a of a piece. Like he didn't also right. do a spy story or an alien invasion well, story. You know what? I'm it, not sure. Set that's in the actually, same universe. I mean, I, well, but even then, I'm not sure that's like I I think by uh, later in the run, Tarzan was like facing off against enemy agents, which you could kind of say was a spy story. That's true. Um, and Tarzan crossed over with Pellucidar. I know that. Yeah. Right. So okay, I, I, I think you could, I think, I mean, I would say even more so a little later on, but I think we were already starting to get to the point of like uh, pulp being the syncretic thing where everything kind of happens at once. And I mean, as we've seen with that, like uh, Robert E. Howard having all of his characters cross over with each other, that's all in one genre of fantasy, but still that whole idea of like, yeah, you can throw everything but the kitchen sink in together. And that led to like, that's what birthed superhero universes. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Um, so, uh, from what I can tell, uh, um, uh, Farley, I'm going to call him Farley because horror is a... Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, Farley uh, continued writing. Uh, this sort of uh, planetary romance fell out of fashion after the, after the 30s. So um, he moved on to, to other things for most of that. That's why there's such a big gap uh, in between the, the stories there. I guess it was sort of starting to come back before his death. Um, nostalgia for that sort of story i suppose so he could write a sequel at that point but uh yeah he he wrote a number of other stories a lot of them that just have radio in the title for no reason um 
or like they're not connected to this series in the slightest, even like in the same universe, but they have radio in the title. I guess that was yeah. his, his brand at this point. Well, uh, I mean, there were co- like there was a comic anthology called Radio Comics at a certain point. Um, like it was just it was a it was a buzzword basically yeah. around this time. So he so. had one called uh, the Radio War, which uh, seems to be set in the year two thousand and involved the heroes fighting a communist empire, something like that. Uh, haven't read it. Uh, one called the Radio Pirates, which is about like a Captain Nemo figure with a submarine uh, or something. Again, haven't read it. Uh, uh, and he wrote some some other other stories that don't have radio in the title. But I, again, I've I've just read the the five ones from this um, from the main uh, Miles Cabot series. Um, so yeah, uh, they're they're. They're fun books. They they've got charm to them. Um, mm. They're not. They're obviously not literary. They're not super well written. Like I read an excerpt at the beginning. It's the it's very clunky. But there's a certain uh, humor to them. There, you sort of get swept up in the nerdery of uh, <laughs> nerdery of describing yeah. you know how radio works and like um, one of the books ends with uh, with clarifying how miles uh his his personal radio set uh that he uses to communicate with the cupians uh works like without causing like feedback and stuff and it describes <laughs> the technical specifications yeah. of that because uh, apparently fans were complaining about that uh, <laughs> yeah well there we go we've got the early uh as you say early um early well, I, I I don't know how quite how to qu- categorize those, but yeah, the 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 hard sci-fi fans who wanted yeah. everything to make sense, yeah, uh, yeah. mixed with like really soft, you know, planetary science fiction stuff. So mm. I don't know. There, there's there, there's charm to them. I, I would I would recommend them. Uh, the first three books are public domain, the first trilogy, um, mm. and they work mostly. Uh, um, standalone like i said uh two of the characters just disappear from it but they appear later in the radio menace um and and i i appreciate how uh farley was um sort of branching out in terms of genre and stuff but still within the same setting i i do i do like that i said it was weird but i like it Hmm. very cool yeah i just realized my my outro doesn't make sense unless you know what uh uh Parastat is that's a okay. That's a unit of um or paraparth. Sorry, parastats are a unit of uh, measurement. Uh, like a stat is a is a mile basically. Okay. Um, and actually, um, miles uh, in 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 um, translating his name into Perovian uh, apparently goes with uh, parth because it's a pun on miles. Mm. Okay. I, th- I thought that was kind of funny. Anyway, uh-huh. and part or. <laughs> Sorry, stad, not not parth. Whatever. Fair enough. Uh, they're nonsense words. Parth is a unit of of time. Yeah. So anyway, I created a language and I made a very witty pun in that language that I just created. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, okay, now for the outro. Uh, well, we're out of part. Well, we're out of paraparths for today, so we'll be transmitting ourselves back to Venus via radio signal. We've been Ant-Man Philip Rice and Butterfly Man Adam Prosser, who cannot coexist on the same continent for long without one exterminating or conquering the other. Our producer was the moth larvae living in the base of Alex Ross's skull. 
and our theme music was produced by the antenna of Jack Fierick. So until next time, keep your radio sets in good repair and your picnics ant-free.